Jesse Single, how's it going? Things are going well, Katie. I have a uh, pretty exciting announcement. Oh, what's that? Back when we launched this uh, humble little podcast last year, you may recall we immediately got into a little bit of trouble with a uh, another podcast. Do you remember this? I have attempted to block this out of my memory, but something is coming back. Please explain. So there's another podcast that has blocked in its title. I can't remember the rest of the name of the podcast. I have no way of looking it up or finding out. One of their co-hosts immediately accused us of having stolen their idea for a podcast, the idea in question being talking about the internet. Yeah, I think it was like two people. Also, he had a problem with two people speaking on microphones. Yeah, this was so, I mean, in their defense, they were the first people to talk about uh, the internet on a podcast on microphones. So we, I, I had this, this, baby beautiful baby of a podcast i'm swinging it in my arms it's covered in afterbirth there's this pure thing <laughs> and immediately it just gets inundated with the same dumb people on twitter yelling at us uh as have yelled at me for years so i took aggressive action i actually there's no way on twitter anymore that i'm aware of to say i block all these people on this account i want to migrate the blocks to this other account i actually had to roll back to an earlier version of twitter but i took the list of all the people i block on at Jesse Single, and I preemptively blocked them on at the bar pod. As I say this now, I realize I probably should have run this by you. Oh, I had no idea that was even a possibility. So you used the you incorporated a block list for our official business account. Yep. Yeah. I preemptively <laughs> banned, I think, thousands of people from having access to our nation businesses content. <laughs> very smart, Jesse. Very smart. <laughs> I am an A plus businessman. Anyway, um, you were tweeting with someone and they tweeted at you. I have no idea why the at the bar pod uh, account is blocking me. And this was like that moment in the Grinch stole Christmas. Isn't there a moment when like his heart grows or some shit? He has like some heart disorder. <laughs> Am I remembering this right? It was the size of a penny. <laughs> whatever, whatever this lump in my chest is, it swelled to three times its normal size, which I think is medically dangerous. What I'm saying is I have heart disease and I just wanted a way to uh, – no. Um, so yeah, I realized I sh I should unblock some people. So I went through the list and it was like fucking six years of time travel through all the worst internet shit I'd seen. It was a, a good mix of gamers because most of the people I was blocking at one point were gamers, of LGBT activists at another point, a certain kind you, of – During Pride Month? <laughs> and during pride uh so anyway the, here's the solution i hit upon it's there's a small number of people i refuse to unblock because they're the equivalent of like twitter war criminals they're just that bad and i i don't want them to harm our listeners everyone else i have unblocked from the at the bar pod account and if you are still blocked and you reach out to me and you're not one of this small group of war criminals i will fix that so this is a blanket unblocking of all bar pod listeners and a partial unblocking if i blocked you from at single and you really think you deserve to be unblocked send me an email my heart is feeling pretty swollen um so question for you did you do this yep. manually did you go through one by one and un un oh yep. wow <laughs> there's no there's no there's no other way to do it and it fucking sucked because i think there were <laughs> thousands of people on there may have literally been thousands and of people and that's how there. jesse spent his work week there are so many annoying people on Twitter, Katie, and it's important that we squelch the voices. Indeed, indeed. I, you know, I thought that you were a free speech absolutist, but I'm finding now that you are just as totalitarian as everybody else. Cancel culture strikes again. And during Pride. And during Pride Month. All right, Jesse. Well, so you guys heard it here first. Full amnesty for annoying people on Twitter. Email Jesse's personal address if you feel like he has blocked you unfairly. 
Yep. And again, unless you're one of these war criminals, but um, one of the war criminals was actually the person you mentioned on Twitter forgetting the name of, which is stupid because it was good that you forgot this person's name. And then you're asking for people to remind you who they are. Why did you do that? Okay. The reason I did that was because did you see this this story that went viral? We're recording this on Friday. So this went viral on Thursday, maybe Friday morning about there's a reporter for the Clarion Ledger, which I think is a paper in Missouri. And this reporter lost his, uh, I guess his companies, his, his, his newsrooms, um, fantasy football league. And as his punishment, he was, he was the biggest loser. And his punishment was that he had to go to a waffle house for, and either spend 24 hours in the waffle house or for every waffle that he ate, he would knock one. It would knock one hour off of his off of his punishment. Oh, I've heard of this challenge before. Okay, okay. I didn't realize that this was a, a, a like a regular thing. Um, but so this okay, so this went this went sort of viral, and I was trying to think of what the blocked and reported equivalent of this would be, and all I could come up with was twenty four hours of reading tweets by Grace Lavery, Jude Doyle. Asia Romano and Noah Berlatsky. And every time you could sweet something positive about what they said, it would knock an hour off of your sentence. <laughs> so I think you'd be there for the whole full 24 hours, I got to say. So you could like quote retweet them and be like, this is a really good point about how parents are actually fascist <laughs> against their children. Right. So I forgot Noah Berlatsky's name. I could not for the fucking life of me remember Noah Berlatsky's name. I asked my Twitter followers and they knew immediately. As soon as I said the 50-year-old who everyone thinks is 14 and who also thinks that parents are inherently fascist, everybody got it. I hope our listeners will note their trajectory of the last five minutes of content where I talk about my heart swelling in size and forgiveness and you <laughs> respond by, here are four people by name who I fucking hate. <laughs> hey, look, I don't fucking hate them. I fucking despise them. Let's get it right. Let's call that reversion to the memes. <laughs> All right, Jesse, what podcast is this? This is Blocked and Reported. I am Jesse Single. And I am Katie Herzog. And today, what are we talking about? Today, uh, we are talking about an internet controversy involving several Nigerian writers. That is a, a sentence I never thought I'd uh, utter. And you're going to talk about, if I understand this correctly, the cold-blooded murder of innocent dogs. That's right. We were going to be talking about dog killers today. But first, a brief correction to our last episode. Jesse, as you will recall, last week you went on a maybe 15-minute rant about Harambe memes. Yeah, I just talked about how much I love Harambe memes and how they, they remind me of a time when the uh, internet was like a lot more innocent and carefree and not just people launching false accusations at one another. Well, Jesse, you failed to point out the obvious. <laughs> one of our beloved patrons pointed me to a 2016 splinter piece by Charles Pulliam Moore, this piece is entitled, Your Favorite Harambe Memes Are Racist, It's Time to Stop Using Them. And I want to read you just a couple of sections from this piece. Yet as time passed, whatever potential Harambe had as a subject for cultural crit critique was given away to jokes like dicks out for Harambe and Harambe did 9-11. The punchlines of these memes are ostensibly rooted in the idea that Harambe is getting a kick, out of, a kick out of his legacy as he watches from gorilla heaven. In reality, though, those jokes are all about using Harambe as a shorthand for black people and openly mocking them without fear of being labeled as racist. Jesse, did you know this? Harambe memes are racist. 
<laughs> I did not know that when people said Harambe did 9-11, they were accusing black people of having done 9-11. That's, um, I feel really bad. I, I contributed to this. You know, I, I, it's been a while since I, I watched Loose Change. I thought that the, the <laughs> I thought that the narrative was that Jews did 9-11, but it turns out that blacks did 9-11. It was, it, it was gangster rap. <laughs> gangster rap did 9-11. <laughs> and then, uh, okay. So, and then later he writes, Resident assistants at the University of Massachusetts were compelled to explain in a letter to this year's freshmen that writing Harambe means on public whiteboards and their shared dorm spaces was an act of subtle, racially driven hostility. Harambe is also the name of a specific floor on UMass's campus that has been set aside for black students looking to live within a black community and a predominantly white school. This is a quote. Harambe has a very positive connotation, but current social media has been representing it, the Aries explained. The floor has been in existence for many years, and so any negative remarks regarding Harambe will be seen as a direct attack on our, on our campus African-American community. Unsurprisingly, Pulliam Moore writes, the email was widely mocked. So it, it turns out, yeah. So Harambe, it turns out that this is, it's a, a word in Swahili and it means a pulling together. Um, and it's, it's the, apparently it's, this is according to Wikipedia. It's apparently the official motto of Kenya and it appears on the, on the, the state coat of arms. So this is, a, this is an actual Swahili word. I'm sure that this got lost, uh, in, in the fun in 2006 when everybody was talking about Harambe. I'm also sure. You said 2016. I am also sure that there were some racist memes in this piece. Pulliam Moore points out that people were uh, calling um, Leslie Jones Harambe. I think that's racist. That's very racist. Some, somebody compared uh, Michelle Obama to Harambe. That's racist for sure. But do you think, Jesse, that the majority of people who were who were like having fun with Harambe memes did it out of some either conscious or unconscious raci- racism? Yeah, but no, I just I, – I think this is like very uh, – I don't know. It like goes against what I was saying of, of like it, it really a lot of these memes were ridiculous. It was Harambe with, with a guitar and Harambe describing it as a political assassination. I of course, any meme involving a primate could be used for anti-black racism. But um, on the other hand, maybe I should just apologize. And, and can I, I so in our in the episode, I said dicks out for Harambe. Can I amend that? Yeah, please do. Dicks back in for Harambe. <laughs> dicks out for anti-racism. Harambe did not do 9-11. Once again, Jesse Single did 9-11. Harambe <laughs> did 9-11. So good. Uh, anyway, th- yeah, thank you very much to – can you get me the name of that patron so I can uh, forcibly unsubscribe them? <laughs> I will. I will uh, I will not mention his name publicly. If he wants to come out as a black and reported listener, I will allow him to, but I will tell you offline. Please do. Uh well, thank you for clearing that up. Uh, we should always revisit our past mistakes, especially during Pride. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you wanted to talk about murdering puppies, right? I did. And I have to warn you, if I ever cry on an episode of Blocked and Reported, it will probably be this one. So over the weekend, I was in North Carolina. It was my dad's 75th birthday. And so I went and uh, and I surprised him. My sister brought her kids and surprised him. Exactly what everybody wants as a surprise is house guests for four days. Anyway, so my dad, his name's Hal Herzog. And I've talked about him on the podcast before. His field, he's retired now, but his field is human-animal interactions. The the academic name is, is anthrozoology. So the study of human-animal interactions, you know, these relationships that we have with pets and other animals. And uh, we were having a conversation when I got there about a woman that he knew. My parents live in, in North Carolina, and he knows a woman who lives not far from him named Trish McMillan. And she's a dog trainer. 
And about two years earlier, he had he met with Trish because they were Facebook friends. And she uh, she wrote on her Facebook. She asked the question. She said, "Have any have anybody any of my dog trainer friends anybody who follows me have any of you had to put down a dog for behavioral reasons? And if so, did this change your, your how you interact with your with your clients?" So he saw this and he was interested in it. So they met up for coffee or something like this. And, and he told her, she told him this story about right before this. So this was in, in 2019. She had adopted, um, she'd adopted a dog. Uh, she was, she like lives in a tiny home and had three other dogs. And she'd adopted what I believe was a, was a bulldog, either bulldog or pit bull. And the dog, it attacked one of her older dogs to the point where it nearly killed it. And after that, she had the dog euthanized. And this was something that, of course, was deeply distressing for her. And she wrote about it on Facebook. And she had this, there was this outpouring of, of, of grief, of responses. And so she started a Facebook group called Losing Lulu, that Lulu was the name of the dog. So my dad was telling me about this because we're, we talk about dog stuff. We have this, Mutual interest. My interest is in, is in dog testicles. His interest is in human animal interactions. So he told me about this. And then the next day I was like sitting around scrolling through Twitter as I do. And I saw this story. I saw people started talking about the dog killer and I didn't know what that was about. So I started doing a little bit of searching and I found a story on Slate. And the story, when I read it, it was called, I adopted a pandemic dog, then I had to put her down. I learned that I'm far from alone. And the story is by Madeline Billis. The story is now called When Bonnie Came Home. Just before Christmas, I adopted a six-year-old beagle. She was adorable and violent. I found a resolution. Many choose, but few acknowledge. So the reason that they chose, that they, that they probably chose to change the name of the of the piece was because this was going viral and not in a good way. People were fucking mad about this piece. Here's a, a representative tweet. This is from friend of the pod, Glenn Greenwald. Glenn tweeted, retweeted uh, the article and he wrote, this person with serious anxiety disorders and other emotional problems passed on her disorders to the pandemic dog she adopted as a lockdown toy, then killed her because she couldn't figure out how to fix the beagle's aggression. Monstrous. <laughs> Jesus. Glenn did not mince words. Um, and normally, you know, I often agree with Glenn. And in fact, Glenn, like, I, one thing that I, that I really appreciate about Glenn is that he is fierce to the point where, like, if I see something that bothers me on Twitter, but I'm too much of a, of a P word to, like, make fun of it or retweet it on my own, I can send it to Glenn and I know that he'll do it for me. He is consistently good at this. But in this case, I really disagreed with him. But let's go to what the story was about. So Madeline, I'll just read the first the first paragraph of the story. Last Christmas morning, I padded my bed, inviting my newly adopted beagle, Bonnie, to jump up and cuddle. My boyfriend, still under the covers, reached out to pet her soft little head, which was now wedged between us. I turned away to grab my phone, and it happened, a guttural bark followed by a human scream. I whipped around to see my boyfriend's hand covered in blood. Before I could figure out how to help him, he was out the door on his way to urgent care. It was Bonnie's second bite in the week since I'd adopted her. So... The basic story is that she adopted this six-year-old beagle from a shelter in New Jersey. Um, the dog was always anxious. Uh, she says it was terrified of everything both in, inside and outside the, uh, the apartment. It was constantly gnawing on her paws so much that they bled. And she bit. She bit Madeline. She bit her boyfriend. She bit a stranger on the street. She bit the dog trainer that, that Madeline hired to try to correct this behavior. 
And so after a while, Madeline realized that she couldn't live with this dog. She tried to find a home outside the city, thinking maybe it was just the urban environment in the small apartment that was contributing to her anxiety and to her biting. She tried rehoming sites. She tried to get help from the shelter where she where she got the dog, and here's what she writes about that. I soon learned that the shelter where Bonnie came from wouldn't help me. A volunteer explained that Bonnie was too dangerous to adopt out again, and their affiliated sanctuaries, including several Beagle-specific rescues, declined to take her. Another dog rescue organization in New York City told me that her bite history, seven bites at the time, though that number would grow, was too extensive to even qualify for a special rehabilitation program. Both Both conversations ended on the same topic, behavioral euthanasia. So... The next time uh, Bonnie bit, she was put down. That's uh, that's really sad. It's really sad. She put Bonnie down, and she posted on Instagram that she, that she that Bonnie had an undiagnosed illness, because that's what you do. You can't say like I killed my dog. I would like to note that I did not cry in the podcast about your mom dying, but I oh am God. crying in the one about <laughs> about the dog dying. <laughs> so Bonnie found this Facebook group, Losing Lulu, which was. Um, which was started by this woman, Trish McMillan, who I just mentioned. So uh, I looked at the Facebook group. It's got 11,000 members. So it's a, it's a grief support group. So it's not about people who – it's not for people who are trying to make this decision. It's pe- for people who have already made the decision. And it's just dozens, maybe hundreds of these posts every day from people who have had to put down their dogs because maybe they bit a child or maybe they, they, they got in a fight with another dog and almost – or attacked another dog and almost killed it. And you see these pictures and it's like healthy dogs that are dead now. Oh, God. Why do you – if they, I feel like you're being masochistic here because you know you're sensitive on this subject, but you're just like doom scrolling through these dead dog posts. Well, it was for the podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is like the equivalent of someone else like embedding in a rack. <laughs> You're just looking. So I was like looking at these. So my, my like my wife was like back home, back home. And I was like looking at these, looking at this. I, I'm not in the Facebook group. I was looking at my dad's Facebook because he's in the group. So I was I was just like scrolling through these. My, my wife called and I was just like sobbing on the phone. And she was like, what is like, what happened? Like, did someone have a stroke? What happened? Did your dad have a heart attack when you walked into the house? And it was like, no, it's dogs. It's dead dogs. <laughs> anyway, the point is, Glenn said that so I I like I tweeted about this and I and I was like mad. I was mad at Glenn. I was mad at all of these like thousands of people calling Madeline a murderer. You mean so I just want you you're mad because you read through these testimonials and you're like these people didn't fucking make this choice lightly. They're heartbroken about it, but they just felt they had no other option. Right, because this is not a decision that anyone I mean, some people surely make this decision lightly, but for the people in this group, it's like you just killed your best friend. Yeah, I was going to say, I one time had a dog that was just like a little too barky. So <laughs> this is the day I got him yeah, and I was yeah. just like, I can't, I can't deal with this. Also, I could have taken him back to the shelter, but that was three extra blocks and there was a still shelter. <laughs> Long story, but we can tell him another time. Yeah. Um, you're more of a horse guy anyway. <laughs> if you have a dog that bites, there's a safety issue, of course. There's a legal issue because if your dog bites somebody else, you could get the fucking pantsuit off of you. But it's also about the dog's quality of life. And if you have a dog that is constantly anxious, that can't get any sort of peace, that can't be rehabbed, it can't 
you can't find a new owner for it because it's violent. Um, you can, if, if a no kill shelter will take the dog, that's maybe a possibility. In Madeline's case, it doesn't sound like it was, but maybe a possibility. But what that means in some cases is that the dog is basically in solitary confinement for the rest of its life because it can't be around people. It can't be around other dogs. So you just stick it in a fucking cage and that's it. That's so depressing. This whole thing is so sad. And so I was mad about this. I was mad that people were calling Madeline a murderer. I was mad that they have this total lack of compassion and empathy when it comes to this issue. And and the truth is, like, my dad pointed this out. This is part of the reason this is interesting because it's about what happens when people have to violate their own moral principles, you know? So Glenn, uh, Glenn and I were in the DMs. He said – he. You see, first he started with, you're so wrong about this and I will physically fight you over it. I oppose that we have a dog fight instead. But I, I often agree with Glenn in this case. I just think that he's really wrong. And so, but Glenn is also, he's a dog guy. He has rescued hundreds of dogs. As he told me, he said, I'm just going to read you some of his, his DMs. Obviously, my view is based on years of rescuing hundreds of dogs and also the shelter we've had. We've had some troubled dogs over the years that were hard to, harder to foster trust in, but all have been improvable with time and effort. I can imagine rare cases in which a dog is simply broken. But I think in these that these are very rare cases, even then, and there are shelters equipped to isolate them and give them some quality of life. I think that Glenn is is like being too optimistic about this. This woman tried to find a shelter. She tried to rehome the dog. She doesn't live on a farm in in Brazil where there's space to separate, you know, to keep the dog isolated. She lives in an apartment in New York. Does he live on a farm? I thought he lived like in Rio, but he had like a compound sort of. He's be He's been on a compound for like at least since quarantine. Okay. Although he he got fucking robbed at gunpoint, so they moved. Did you hear about this? Fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah. We might have talked about it. So Yeah. Um anyway, yeah, I mean I the idea that there's like a huge number of shelters that are just there to allow violent dogs. Some I don't think there's that many of them. I would not There are I mean there are no kill shelters that exist, but as and I'm sure some of them uh, offer some quality of life, but for a lot of these dogs it's just going into a cage because there's nothing that can be done. And do those shelters accept dogs that are already known to be too violent to find a home for? Some do and some don't. There's a place called Best Friends and out in Utah and they took Michael Vick's dogs. Aww. That was you know, that was also probably like partially like a PR thing. Um, so not all of these sh- – I mean, Madeline tried to find a shelter for her dog and she couldn't do it. So I think Glenn's like problem with this is the idea that it's going to normalize this thing. And my point is that it's already normal. So I have another friend who this – like this winter right around Christmas time posted on Instagram a picture of her dog, Rafi. And I knew who the dog was because for years she's been – or whatever, however long she's had the dog. This cute, like floppy – not floppy, like pointy floppy-eared dog who she clearly loved. Um, Rafi, pandemic – Rafi did really, really poorly during pandemic. It was constantly – constantly anxious, bit a bunch of people, attacked people, escaped from the house. She subsequently went on This American Life and talked about it. We'll post a link to this in the show notes. Don't listen to it if you – like are like me and like can't handle the idea of dead dogs and then my neighbors just got a dog a new dog and they were telling us that their my neighbor's brother his dog his beloved dog he was like reaching down to pet him one night bit him in the cheek and wouldn't let go and he had to he carried this dog up to his gun case and he was about to shoot the dog in the fucking head when the dog like when the dog finally let go and then he had to put the dog down these things happen and i think that it should be talked about 
But, I mean, I hopefully we'll never have to fucking talk about this again because I can't handle it. No, I think we should reorient the podcast around this subject. (laughs) Blocked and dead dogs. (laughs) (laughs) But these things happen and sometimes there's no good fucking solution. And I hate that people are demonizing this woman who was, I'm sure, broken the fuck up about it. Yeah, I yeah, I just find I don't know. I find it hard to interpret this in any other way. I guess anyone can nitpick at a distance and be like, well, why didn't you try this thing or that thing? But it's just so clear the decision wasn't made likely. But um oh. Well, I mean that's what people are saying. So I posted it, I posted it on Twitter, and then all of these people were in my mentions, like, well, just put a muggle muzzle on the dog and never take the take the muzzle off. It's not just about the biting, it's about the quality of life. If you have a dog who is so anxious that it can't it can't get any comfort or any peace i think you have an obligation in a case like that to do anything that you can to to give the dog some sort of solace even if that means putting the dog down yeah it's just i i mean i find that quality of life argument compelling because when you think about what it's like to be a dog an animal that's like geared at running around and socializing and being free just going to sit in a cage forever cuz i mean Oh man, that's not that's not fun. It's not fun. This is not fun. So since this happened, I've been like looking at at Moose and like, what if he just like took like took me down? Like at any like this is an animal. At any minute, he could just like bite me in the face. Any minute. <laughs> I've seen Moose on video. Moose is biting anyone. <laughs> if you have to put Moose down, it'll be like he kissed me too much. <laughs> Yeah, I hope that it doesn't ever come to this. But this is like this is the thing that happens. And sometimes you have to violate your own moral principles. And in this case, she did. And then she was honest about it. And for that, she was thousands of people accused her of being a, a killer. They even and I think that like I think that Slate did a disservice with that stupid fucking name. I adopted a pandemic dog, then I had to put her down. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to put that in the headline because it's a big part of the story. But so many people are just going to read that headline and scream at her without knowing any of the details. That's Which is exactly what happened. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like I need to take a nap now. This was emotionally exhausting for me. Yeah, this is so against your overall persona of, of feeling cold and distant from everything. How many years How many years of my life would you trade for Moose? All of them. <laughs> All of them. I was going to say at what, ra- at what ratio. This is not even a difficult. I would give up my life for Moose. You would jump in front of a train or like an attack dog for Moose? I would yes, I would commit murder for Moose. I would I would do anything for Moose. I would read Noah Berlatsky tweets every day for the rest of my life for Moose. Let's try to make this difficult. Let's say you don't chop Moose's nuts off and he reproduces with a dog and you have three frozen dog embryos that are Moose's children and there's a train that's about to hit Moose. <laughs> Or you can redirect it with a lever to hit to run over the three moose embryos. What do you do? Moose or three moose embryos? This would be harder if you said puppies. Also, the puppies look exactly like moose and each contain a lot of his a lot of his soul. That's so hard. Okay, fine. There's a third track and I'm on it. You, you have to go. You have to go. Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, that was good. All right. Well, was there anything else you wanted to say about this before we proceed? I love moose. That's all. <laughs> Just I love I love lamp. <laughs> I love moose. Uh, all right. Well, so we're gonna get in the habit of moving housekeeping to the middle of the show. If you have any comments on <laughs> anything, including just like 
I think Katie could just use some nice emails at this point. <laughs> Blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. We have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash blocked and reported. Consistently good stuff on there. Most importantly, we have a premium subscription program, patreon.com slash blocked and reported for $5 a month or more, you get at least three extra episodes of this podcast per month, the vast majority of which are not about dead dogs or dying dogs or even injured dogs. If you subscribe at the $10 or higher level, you get perks like a group chat on video that we're doing sometime in the next couple months. Uh, ask us anything. So check us out, patreon.com slash r slash watch reported and the merch store. We should get some uh, moose merch going, but barpod.org for all your blocked and reported. What about like collars for Pride Month? Yes, like a leather daddy collar with moose. <laughs> a leather daddy moose. <laughs> a moose tag. Property of blocked and reported for Pride Month. We should just have moose shirts. And then for Pride Month, the only two sizes are bear and twink. <laughs> I still don't know what I'm allowed to say, but let's just assume that that's fine. I give you permission. Um, I have a lesbian friend. Um, <laughs> anything Anything else housekeeping-wise? I love moose. I love moose. All. <laughs> all right. So uh, – I would say that we're going to get a little bit lighter, but this next segment involves a threaded machete attack on a human. So I'm not even sure. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? It's not a dog. All right. Jesus Christ. This one was a mess. This was like, unfortunately, very much in our wheelhouse on multiple fronts. Okay. So there's a, um, and there's also a lot of names I'm going to fuck up. I promise I'm going to try my best not to. There's a novelist, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Adichie. It's pretty good, right? Adichie. I'm sorry. Chimamanda Adichie Adichie. Yeah. And uh, she's a very superstar Nigerian uh, novelist and author. And she's the author of Americana. Um, we Should All Be Feminists, which was like a TEDx talk that, that was also a book. Okay. And uh, Beyonce, uh, Beyonce sampled it. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, she became, I'm doing really obnoxious air quotes now, controversial in 2017. After an interview in which she said the following, I'm taking Wait, this. Wait, let's just. You want to just play it? I got the clip. Okay, so we'll just we'll just play that here. When people talk about you know are trans women women, my feeling is trans women are trans women. And I think if you've been if you've lived in the world as a man, with the privileges that the world accords to men, and then um, sort of change switch gender, it, it's difficult for me to accept that then we can equate your experience with the experience of a woman who has lived from the beginning in the world as a woman and who has not been accorded those privileges that, that men are. I don't think it's a good thing to conflate everything into one. I don't think it's a good thing to talk about women's issues being exactly the same as the issues of trans women. What I'm saying is that gender is not biology. Gender is sociology. Okay, so so there was then subsequently a Facebook post where she she basically sort of apologized. Like she said, I don't want people to think that I'm saying any one set of experiences are like more important than the others or less valid. But she stood by that idea of there being a distinction uh, of this idea that, um, you know, trans women, at least those who transition later in life, have had some exposure to male privilege. And that might cause them to have had different experiences than you know, natal um, biological females, uh, cisgender women. So, did you just say biological female? I know. What is this hate speech? I know. And during Pride, no less. <laughs> oh God. Um, okay, so this is something that's actually it's come up frequently. And um, in, in 2017, I wrote about a philosopher named Rebecca Tuvel. She had this again, quote unquote, infamous paper where she basically said 
when you look at the arguments for accepting transgender people as the sex or gender they experience, you could use those same arguments to accept transracial people. This was very controversial. Uh, another philosopher accused her. This is from a, a, a Facebook post. I'll just read it directly. She refers to, quote, a male to female MTF trans individual who could return to male privilege, end quote, promoting the harmful trans misogynistic ideology that trans women have at some point had male privilege. I have had so much trouble understanding. I can see context in this in which this is like offensive because you pointed out it in a certain way. But how is this like not true? Like if the concept of male privilege exists looking male and presenting as male and being male brings you male privilege, right? What am I missing here? Okay. I mean, I think you were obviously correct on this. I think the argument on the other side is that like Grace Lavery has written that female is it or that women, because it's this like social construct that, that, that basically feminine men are treated as women in society. First of all, no. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be my first response. No. Cause like, let's say there's a guy who, um, you know, comes across as stereotypically gay in certain ways. He still moves through the world as male. And even if he's very on the sort of femme side of male presenting, he still gains certain benefits from being seen as male, even just like what he fears walking through a parking lot at night. It's just not the same thing at all, right? I mean, I'm sure that there are some some males, particularly effeminate males, who I'm sure like do fear walking around at night and some who are victimized uh, because of their their femininity. I'm, I'm sure that that's true. But Sure, but that's just not the same as saying male presenting people don't experience male privilege. Of course, it's different kinds of male privilege in different degrees. I mean, I just think that the, that like the more important thing is like you don't share similar experiences. You might have there like there might be tinges of the same experience, but this idea that like it to me it's not even about the male privilege thing. It's just this distinction that yes, at a certain point in your life like your experiences are different based on what sex you are. This is just true. Right. And this and this ties and of, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. And part of that is is physical. It's not yeah. about just about the way you're treated in society. It's about things like getting your period or whatever. Like it's about these these biological realities that most women have that are not going to be that just don't translate to the male experience. I will never know what it's like to have a occipital bump on the back of my head, for instance. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you will never know what it's like to have menstrual cramps. Yeah, I, I I find this stuff very depressing because it seems. It's not presented this way, but it's actually pretty far removed from the question of like human rights for transgender people. It is this strain of just straight up denialism about biological sex and and the possibility that it really does shape our lives in certain ways. And it really I, I get what you're saying that maybe the, the, the strongest way into that isn't the privilege thing because it gets complicated, although I don't I still don't think it gets that complicated. But the point is she got in trouble for saying trans women are trans women instead of trans women are women. And um, right. there are differences. Wh there. Where do you stand on this, on this question? On what question? Are trans women women? I think trans women are women as a statement is sometimes a way of saying they should be treated as women, which I agree with. If it means they're, it's just, it's such a, it's, it's such a fucking gotcha because obviously one of the definitions of woman is a biological female. I mean, I don't think that there is an, any other definition. Th this is the issue. There is no other – like the definition, uh, the definition of woman is an adult human female. This is the definition. And the only way to describe what a woman is is to use the term female because every other description resorts to stereotypes. 
I think there's there's a social sense in which you point to someone and say that woman over there, and you're yeah at at root you're saying I expect that person is biologically female, but you're basically just saying they look like they have the phenotypical or the dress characteristics of a woman. Right. And you can, and this is, it's such a stupid argument that I almost wish that we weren't talking about it because it, the question really shouldn't be, is this person a literal female or a literal woman? The question should be, how is this person treated, treated in society? Does this person have legal rights? Can this person be kicked out of their housing because of how they identify or whatever? Exactly. And it it gets very, um, I mean, we'll see as we get deeper into this story, it becomes sort of like a religious mantra where, um, I just I think that's sort of a trap. I understand it's like become a common mantra, but I, I again, if the question is they, should they be treated as women, my argument all along is like ninety nine percent of the time I don't think it brings anyone grief. I think there's a small number of settings where we should talk about compromise because it requires compromise, and and we know what those are. But um, yeah, you get in so much trouble for denying that sentence, and it's just not a a, a well constructed statement because it's obviously designed to be provocative because I think everyone knows that the main definition of woman often doesn't apply here. Can I before we move on, can I give you a, a definition of woman that I saw today from Grace Lavery? Yeah, I don't want you to yeah, you're welcome. You're just let's just be clear, you're the one poking this particular hornet's nest, not me. Okay. Yeah. This is on Twitter. Grace said, a woman is a person who is or has been presumed to adopt a passive role in sexual intercourse and a reproductive role in economic life. It's just it's just start. I mean, this is like the Andrea Long Chu thing, where she's just like a woman is basically someone who like gets fucked. who is abused. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. just insane because in in any other situation that would be seen as so offensive, but no one can say it's offensive. So offensive. I mean, it's fucking. Uh, also, if you actually like break down that definition, it's so it's so problematic. So if someone is in a caretaking role, they're a woman. Right. Woman. I, yep. I just can't. Sorry, I. The problem is, in my engagements with her, there's a degree of just like trolling and making shit up about people. Um, I, I feel like this has to be trolling. She can't honestly think that's a workable definition, right? Or, I don't what? know. I mean, this is some like postmodern <sighs> shit that I don't understand. Why do you keep bringing this person up, Katie? <sighs> trying to distract myself from the dead dogs. <laughs> We're gonna get a kid during. Okay. Pride. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, Adichie's in the news because she published this essay that quickly went very viral. It is called It Is Obscene, A True Reflection in Three Parts. If you go to www.chimamanda.com, this is her whole website now. So the first two parts of this are about fellow Nigerian writers who she, I think, both participated in her workshop, who she took under her wing. And she says both these people just like basically threw me under the bus in a gross way after the 2017 controversy. Um Part three is just like a diagnosis of our cultural moment that people are – went super viral because it's so well-written. Let me just read these and then I'll get to the specific uh, person we want to talk about. Um, in certain young people today, like these two from my writing workshop, I notice what I find increasingly troubling, a cold-blooded grasping, a hunger to take and take and take but never give. A massive sense of entitlement, an inability to show gratitude, and ease with dishonesty and pretension and selfishness that is couched in the language of self-care. I just think that's great. Uh, and then at the end, and so we have a generation of young people on social media so terrified of having the wrong opinions that they have robbed themselves of the opportunity to think and to learn and to grow. I have spoken to young people who tell me they are terrified to tweet anything, that they read and reread their tweets because they fear they will be attacked by their own. The assumption of good faith is dead. What matters is not goodness, but the appearance of goodness. 
We are no longer human beings. We are now angels jostling to out-angel one another. God help us. It is obscene. Okay, a lot going on there. In in part two, she didn't like just hint. She didn't mention either of the people she's talking shit about, but she left so many obvious bread trails, uh, breadcrumbs that it's like it's clear. In part two, she's talking about uh, Ukweki Umazi. Uh, Umezi, sorry, Amezi, E-M-E-Z-I-E. This was a uh, mentor, a protege of hers. Um, Amezi came out as non-binary. I'll, I'll try to keep their pronouns straight. They're they, them. And around the same time, uh, Amezi was saying truly unhinged stuff about Adichie's stance on trans people. Their book initially included in the bio section about Amezi, Amezi, stuff about their relationship uh, with Adichie. So this is like if I threw you under the bus and then my biography was like <laughs> mentioned you as someone I worked with and I'm trying to like uh, trade off your name, that's pretty fucked up, no? I plan on doing that too if I ever publish a book, but yes, it's fucked up. Okay, so a quick amazing, I, sh- I should have given this background. They are like a super famous young Nigerian writer. I think they're only like 33 TV deals, multiple novels. Uh, Cover of Time magazine. Seven books. Jesus. Why am I so lazy and untalented? Um, and, and they gave a lot of credit uh, privately to Adichie, well, and publicly, that Adichie helped along their career uh, via this workshop and, and saying nice things about their book. And um, so Amazie came out as non-binary. And then that sort of made them one of the supposed victims of Adichie, who also uh, defended J.K. Rowling, whole other rabbit hole, but basically said that uh, Adichie thought what Rowling said was uh, reasonable. Okay, so here's a tweet from early 2021. I trust that there are other people who will pick up machetes to protect us from the harm transphobes like Adichie and Rowling seek to perpetuate. I, however, will be in my garden with butterflies trying to figure out how to befriend the neighborhood crows. Find me on the gram. And then there's a butterfly emoji. This is like basic. I'm sorry. People were trying to like explain this away. I trust that there are other people who will pick up machetes. I mean, can you imagine if either of us said, I trust other people, like, I think this is a very maybe Nigeria-specific thing, but, like, I trust other people will pick up guns to protect us against our online net. It's pretty close to an incitement of violence. I'm not saying someone is actually going to attack Adichie, but that's, like, incredibly fucked up. And the part of this that I, I, I'm I, sorry, but I can't resist pointing out is this is someone who... Uh, I know you're not supposed to say this, but like they are completely gender conforming, correct? Well, okay, so they appear to be like very feminine presenting. If you saw this person on the street, you would 100% say this is a female. Has had top surgery. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but but like other than the fact that they no longer have tits, this is a this person for all the world looks very female. And and I bring this up not because I am in favor of misgendering or like I'm not – I. but my point is they're saying I am being harmed by J.K. Rowling and, and Adichie and I just – I don't think that's true and I think that's what justifies I'm, – I'm so threatened that I want people to pick up a machete and hurt them is like pretty fucked up. In a way, it's sort of like opting into a diagnosis that you might not actually have. Like does this person suffer from gender dysphoria? I don't know. They came out as non-binary, not as trans but this is not – you know, Adichie was not – she was – like, first of all, what she said wasn't transphobic. It was a statement of fact. Um, but it also had nothing to do with, like, non-binary 
there's no connection to a Maisie situation. I guess the I mean, I guess I guess the it'd be the like slippery slope argument where first you say trans women aren't women and next thing you know people are like beating non-binary people in the street. But there I mean non-binary like you know, it's like I, in some ways it's like trans light, I guess. People take it very seriously, but it does not – to me, it oftentimes seems more like a political identification than any sort of like actual gender dysphoria. But and, – and I think like in much the same way that if you say that there's no difference between trans women and cisgender women, it sort of um, kneecaps your ability to talk about feminism or, or problems women face in general. Similarly, if we can't – if you are a female person and you present in a female normative manner – you do not face most of these threats. Like when, when trans people are harmed, it's because they're perceived as not fitting into the box they're supposed right. to fit in. If you fit into the box that society expects you to fit in, I'm not saying no one has like harassed this person or threatened or threatened them, but like it's, it just, it seems different. And it does seem like this thing of you're trying to, um, I mean, I, I wrote about this in my newsletter. I call it weaponized fragility, or I, I didn't come up with that, but it's like you're you're presenting yourselves as so besieged that anything you say is justifiable, including a threat of violence. And I I just think that's unacceptable. Oh yeah, totally. So you're against you're against machete attacks. It depends. Depends on who. What if it's someone who's trying to hurt a dog? Fucking kill the fucker. Kill the fucker. Attack <laughs> that person. Depends on the dog, actually. Did you see Amizi's response to this? Uh, yeah, it was weird. Maybe we should drop in a little of that here. Yeah. By this time next year, I will have published seven books in four years. Seven books in four. Just wait. By next summer, you understand what I'm talking about. But like, it's my birthday month. It's my book's birthday. I'm on the cover of Time magazine. Like, I'm in my house. With Goose Pompon, who is sleeping in his little baskets, you know, being adorable. Like, I am loved. <laughs> Mostly by myself. I mean, like, actually, very much by other people and by, like, my chosen family. But more, like, actually by myself. And it's worth it. You know, I write a lot about this in the memoir. But really, this whole thing of building your own world, building your own reality, the sacrifices, the costs, all of that, it is worth it. Um, and yeah. And so even in the face of all the shit that's going down today, I could just be like, oh, no, I'm not engaging with that. I'm just going to poke my head in, remind us that, you know, that we matter, that we're important, that... Our worlds are fucking bigger than anything that these people can imagine. And that we don't even have to be legible to them. We don't have to be validated by them. I'm not going to read what Homegirl wrote and do like a blow by blow, like rebuttal of it. Cause I'm not even going to read it because last, last. The level of just like narcissism and just strangeness with this person. I don't know. This per they are they are Im this response embodies the complaint that Adichie had in the first place. Yeah, as people pointed out. Yeah, yes. just this this attitude of just like I don't know. It's very narcissistic, sort of throwing other people under the bus. All that matters is me, me, me. It's self-aggrandizing. Yeah, incredibly so. It's arrogance. Uh, I I just found this. Um, 
Well, I guess it's good because Adichie's essay really did resonate. And I think it maybe drew more people into like how crazy this stuff is getting that you can be accused of being a murderer for saying there's differences between trans women and cisgender women. I, I just think that's nuts. Now, I guess we have to talk about the Vox thing, don't we? Oh, yeah. We definitely have to talk about the Vox thing. This will be the fun part of the podcast. This was like really I, – I, I can only – this is not an unusual sentiment for me, but I just couldn't really believe – Vox published this, although I guess if you say that over and over again, you should no longer be surprised. Right. So this piece, when this crossed my feed, uh, it is entitled, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's Cancel Culture Screed is a Dangerous Distraction. And this crossed my feed, and this was one of these cases where I knew the byline before I clicked the article. It is by Asia Romano, who I believe- <laughs> I was going to say, sh- sh- clearly Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Iglesias came back just for a, just for a day to post this. <laughs> And this is this piece is just there are so many fantastic lines in this piece. We should just go through a couple of them. So in the headline, it is a screed. In the piece, Romano what writes, earlier this week, Adichie published a lengthy and eloquent takedown of cancel culture on her personal website. Lengthy and elegant versus dangerous screed. Um, screed. Yeah. So yeah. it starts there, and then we get into, of course, the highlight of the essay. It is not precisely clear what prompted Adichie's essay, though many observers has, have questioned her motives in choosing to publish it during Pride Month. <laughs> during Pride. Pride. And then later in the piece, she writes, they write, I think maybe Asia's a they, in November 2020, during Transgender Awareness Week, The Guardian published an interview with Adichie in which she articulated her dislike of cancel culture. During Transgender Awareness Week? Can you believe it, Jesse? To, to that sort of double hit of doing it during the week and then during the month is just inexcusable. It's sort of like if somebody criticized you, are like, it's my birthday month. <laughs> what are you doing? D- can you? Well, this Vox article went up during female Nigerian novelist appreciation hour. <laughs> That's crazy. That's like a, that, a, that Romano would be a hate crime. oblivious to that. It's just incredibly offensive. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's the most, it's the lamest fucking response. Dur- so there's a month during which no one can publish anything that anyone who's LGBT finds offensive. And keep in mind that the threshold for now offense for offensive is now things like trans women are not exactly the same as cisgender women. Okay, we'll just shut shut everything down. We should mention that both of us have violated this particular rule because both my detransition piece and your piece on trans kid <laughs> in the Atlantic were published during Pride Month. Well, no, my but it was funny. Mine was in the July August issue, but they put it online a few days before the end of the month. <laughs> During Pride, and this is one of the things that people said that were the people who were mad at us said for, in both cases was during Pride Month. How could you during Pride Month, this sacred holiday brought to you by Spirit Off Vodka? The Atlantic emailed me, and they're like, "What?" Because this is what happens when you write a mag- magazine article. When do you want this to run? What month? And I was like, "Definitely during Pride." Yeah, oh yeah, you definitely get to get the choice to to dictate when your work is published in uh, in magazines. This, so this article is just like. What's crazy to me is is Romano basically says um, – I'm trying to find the quotes, but but she says – she comes very close to saying that if, if Adichie didn't want this to happen, didn't want to be threatened with Machete and so on, she just should have shut the fuck up. Like she had yeah. a choice to not talk more about this issue. Romano also accuses uh, Adichie of refusing to say trans women are women. So right. not only do you have to agree with it, you have to actively say it or you're part of the problem. Have you had people – like I've had people on Twitter – that I fight, that I like in a fight with, say like, just say it. Trans women, are, like, you won't say it. Will you say it? Trans women are women. 
And I won't say it because, especially in a context like that, because I don't, I don't respond when people demand that I repeat platitudes. I wouldn't say the sky is blue if people ask, no. demanded I say it in any given context. No fucking way. No fucking way. Yeah. Okay, so um, there's a couple other great points in this essay. So she quotes, she quotes the the BBC Channel Four interview with uh, with um, Adichie. She says, I'll just read the end of this so people can remember. This is from the clip that we played earlier. I don't think it's a good thing to conflate everything into one. I don't think it's a good thing to talk about women's issues being exactly the same as the issues of trans women. What I'm saying is that gender is not biology. Gender is sociology. And then uh, A.J. Romano writes, Adichie's point that trans women have very different experiences than cisgender women is well-made and very important. Okay, so let's just pause on that. (laughs) So the whole point, the the whole reason that she is considered transphobic is she said that trans women and cis women have different experience. Asia Romano just said this is a well-made and very important point. Uh... Continuing. Here is why she thinks that this is well-made and important. Trans women experience higher rates of sexual assault and domestic violence, homelessness, suicide, and suicide attempts than transgender women, and they're more likely to be re-victimized when they seek support. So her point is that, yes, there is a difference. The difference is that trans women have it worse. And then she says, further, Adichie's insistence that gender is tied to sociology, not biology, is a crucial distinction in the debate over trans rights, one backed by science. And there, the word science links to an article in Science Magazine about people with intersex oh conditions. That's really, like, offensive. It's not the – it's a fucking – it's not this – it's offensive. It's actually offensive. You are conflating these two things that really have nothing to do with each other, like chromosomal disorders and gender identity. This is – I love – I didn't notice this, but – um. She includes uh, AJ Romano includes a line as Emily Crockett explained in Vo- for Vox in 2017. "Quote: When trans activists and, and allies say that trans women are women, they're not actually trying to say that transgender women are the same as cisgender women." Uh huh. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So sure. it's it's a it is such an important motto that if you don't say it, you are basically a murderer. But also the motto doesn't mean what the motto clearly appears to mean. Right. This this is all crystal clear. I don't see how anyone can be confused about this. There's nothing to worry about here. So I think you can find Asia Romano's motivation in the following sentence. Trans and non-binary people like me are left smarting from the damaging impact of her words, which empower other public figures to make to promote a toxic, deeply regressive argument that denies trans women their humanity. This is about Asia, Asia Romano. Asia Romano. This is like who uses she pronouns, right? right. And that, I, she and that. I don't fucking know. This is about a person whose feelings are hurt because this feminist de- like de- declines to repeat a fucking platitude. Um. Yeah, I want to make sure. Yeah, she uses they and she pronouns, so I feel like we're fine using she. We can call her she then. Yeah, I just. But again, it's like, um, the the categories are so collapsed now that someone who's just. I just think there's like pretty important differences between people who face threats for being genuinely gender non-conforming. I don't know, man. You're not supposed to say this, but it just seems so self-evidently true that these are like we're lumping very different kinds of people under the same umbrella. And then some of them who maybe don't – it's like 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 you talk about like straight, nice, married, straight white ladies who say they're queer pretending they have the same experience or face the same threat as like – a gay person in a conservative country is just would be seen as offensive. Right. It's okay. So let's say a black trans woman, poor sex worker who doesn't pass 
is just not going to have the same experiences or be treated the same in, in, in society as someone as a natal female who appears female and calls themselves non-binary. <laughs> that like what you just said is considered incredibly offensive, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> and that's why this issue sucks up all the oxygen in the room because it is very like religious. The rules are complicated. It's so far from like if this conversation was like, should trans people get fired for being trans or get kicked out of their house, be, there'd be nothing to talk about because they obviously shouldn't. There's obviously a moral imperative and there's a moral imperative to get them the health care they need. But this gets very arcane and religious. And that's I think that's why people react so negatively to it. OK, so one more thing about this. Nick, a uh, friend of the pod, Nick Claremont, pointed this out. She, Asia Romano, goes on this like long, these like long tangents about J.K. Rowling in the piece and how she's problematic, blah, blah, blah. Like long tangents, half the piece is really about J.K. fucking Rowling. And she also at the same time manages to get the name of Adichie's book wrong. <laughs> um, she writes that her acclaimed novel is Half a Yellow Sun. It is called Half of a Yellow Sun. Gotham. Man, I find this – this was such a crazy – I guess overall I'm happy with how this, inter- this internet controversy went down because I did think people were overall siding with Adichie. I will say, and I pointed this out on Twitter, New York Times, NPR – Guardian, none of them mentioned the machete tweet, which is like that. That's a um, conspicuous thing to leave out because it's that can explain maybe help us determine who's in the right here or who we should side with, given that one person has mentioned the other person getting hacked to death with a machete for expressing beliefs probably held by 95% of humanity. Um, Yeah. You know, in general, I like this trend of celebrity feuds becoming public, literary celebrity feuds being public. I hope that this this continues, that we can see like, I don't know, um, John Grisham and Dan Brown's uh, publishing open letters denouncing each other soon. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. Although I think um, certain corners of the literary world, I think are a little bit crazier than, than others. Uh, anything else we want to say about this no but we'll put links to the essay in the show notes alright well thank you guys for listening and uh, we will see you again next week if not sooner if you're a patron this has been Blocked Reported I'm Jesse Single and remember my friend cancelled our lunch date and during Pride and I'm Katie Herzog and also remember I love moose moose